0: Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire.
1: iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire.
0: Stay with us today as we unpack the Workplace Communication Code and equip you with the skills you need to succeed in any professional setting. Get ready to level up your career and build some powerful relationships through effective communication with your coworkers. Then, have you ever wondered if you have to put the year you graduated on your online applications? In our last segment, I'll tell you what states have outlawed that practice and what legal recourse you have.
1: Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search.
0: Effective communication is a powerful tool because it's the lifeblood of any workplace. It's how we build relationships and it's how we get projects done. But let's face it, not all of us are born master communicators. That's why we need to understand the fundamentals and learn how to send and receive messages with precision and impact. Whether you're a recent graduate entering the workforce for the first time or a seasoned professional looking to level up, I have some nuggets of wisdom to share with you. Think of communication as having three components. There's the verbal communication, nonverbal communication or your body language, and active listening. When we're communicating, it's not just about the words we use. Nonverbal clues can often speak louder than anything you say. From facial expressions to body language, be sure that your verbal and nonverbal communications align. Making eye contact with someone is a great way to communicate with them and shows that you're engaged and interested in the conversation. It also conveys confidence and establishes a connection with the other person. When I'm prepping someone for an interview, I tell them that I want a report on the color of the interviewer's eyes. Now, you don't have to gaze into their eyes for long periods of time and hold that contact the entire time. Because that would be... Creepy. but be sure you do make eye contact often open your body language did you know that crossed arms give off a defensive signal like you're trying to protect yourself and it creates an invisible barrier uncross those arms relax your posture and the conversation will be so much more productive Our facial expressions play a major role in conveying our emotions and attitudes. Be sure to smile when it's appropriate because it helps to create a positive atmosphere and makes you more approachable. Beware of any unconscious frowning or other negative expressions that might unintentionally affect the way that your message is received. Unfortunately, active listening is not a skill everyone has. We've all had the experience of talking with someone who's distracted by their phone or their computer. This can be especially difficult in Zoom meetings because of distractions on multiple screens, but to actively listen means being fully present and engaged in our conversations and showing genuine interest in what other people have to say. Through active of listening, you not only build stronger relationships with your colleagues, but you also gain valuable insights and perspectives. I challenge you on your next Zoom call to shut down all of your other screens and focus 100% on the person talking and on the agenda. I promise you'll get a lot more out of that meeting and the presenters will feel like they're being heard. There are definitely some do's and don'ts of email communication. Have you ever had something get completely blown out of proportion when communicating over email or Slack or Teams or text? It's so important to write clear and concise messages to avoid any miscommunication. If it's email, create a subject line explaining the topic. Don't say something like, What's up? A good rule of thumb is that if the email thread is going to be more than three messages long, then you should just hop on the phone or set up a meeting. It'll be so much easier to have a conversation. Pay attention to your writing tone, especially if you've just read a message that set you off for some reason. Take a beat and don't send a hasty response that you might regret later. I can't tell you how many email messages I've written in the heat of the moment only to delete them the following day because I knew it wasn't in my best interest to send them. In this case, the draft email folder is your friend. (laughs) Building a positive communication culture can begin with you. Effective communication leads to increased collaboration, innovation, and overall job satisfaction. Together, you and your coworkers can create a supportive and inclusive environment where everyone feels heard and valued. I want you to meet Abby Runk. She is a total pro in the software consulting world racking up an impressive 15 plus years of experience working with federal, state, and local governments, higher education, and nonprofits. As a senior client success manager at WalkMe, a digital adoption platform, Abby is crushing it. She helps clients measure, build, drive, and take action to get the most out of their software investments.
1: Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche.
0: Hi, Abby. It's so good to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Share with us a little overview of your career in customer success. How did you get started? What led okay. you to pursue this field? Tell us your story. Uh, have you ever heard of the windy road? That That's
2: kind of been my career <laughs> up until now. Um, graduated college and actually started in teaching as a favor to a friend. Her school was hiring. So did that for a couple years. Had kids, stayed home with them for a couple years, and uh, then kind of went back to teaching part time so I could be with them. I thought it was great. I was at their school. I could have lunch with them. And then the school decided they weren't going to stay open anymore as a private school. And I thought, uh-oh. Well, what am I going to do uh-huh. now? And a good friend of ours had called, and he said, "Look, I've been, you know, telling you for years you need to get into the tech software business." He said, "I think you've got a lot of skill sets. I think you'd be good at it." I said, okay, get me an interview, let me see. And totally out of my realm, totally out of my realm. But I liked what they had to offer and and I jumped in and that was many years ago. (laughs) And so I got into it and just started working with clients and and fell in love with the role.
0: Now you work for a company called WalkMe and you told me that I've probably used (laughs) the software uh, on different websites without even knowing it. So explain what WalkMe does and how people use it. Yeah. So
2: WalkMe is a DAP product. DAP is becoming a very common um, acronym in the tech world. It's a digital application platform. So as you know, most companies have apps that they use. You probably log into ADP or Workday or Cornerstone On Demand or any app at work that you use, Concur. And you get in those applications. And have you ever gotten frustrated? You get to a part of the application where you're like, man, this password isn't working or I don't understand the form I'm filling out. So WalkMe comes in, and we overlay on that application, and we make it easier for the user. So sometimes you'll be on an application, you'll see a little circle with a question mark, and you hover over it, and a little box pops up, and it says, hey, in this box, you should do X, Y, and Z. That's basically what WalkMe is. We take a process that people are frustrated with, and we make it work. And so we kind of overlay on any application out there.
0: So Abby, tell me about what a typical day in customer success looks like for you.
2: Yeah, my day is filled with meetings and it's just meeting with my different clients. So I'll get on a call with a client and we just talk about anything they have going on. Are they in the middle of building? Are they in the middle of an implementation and trying to put WalkMe on top of the product? Is the product already live? we have really robust, robust uh, data that we provide our clients. So sometimes we look at the data together, how many users touched walk me today, how many users are struggling in an area that we maybe would build another smart walkthrough for and so forth. So when I meet with my clients, it's usually about an hour and we go through all things that they need. I always tell my clients when I meet them, I'm the quarterback for walk me, anything they need come to me. And then I direct them wherever they need to go, whether it's sales support, somebody to build something for them, somebody to assist. So I'm kind of like their one touch stop so that they don't have to be frustrated by going now who at WalkMe does that and and who should I reach out to for that? I just make sure my clients directly come to me. So I'm usually on back-to-back meetings with clients, um, sometimes internal meetings in between, but mainly meeting with clients and just making sure they're happy with the product and that they're moving forward and and gaining value.
0: What are some of the key milestones or turning points in your career that really influenced the path that you're on today?
2: Yeah, I think it was just, I mean, listen, in in the world of all businesses, networking, right? Just meeting people, putting yourself out there. That's always going to get you to where you need to be. And and that's just the hard truth of it. It's kind of a who you know world. And I was at my old company for eight years and I was very happy. I had no complaints. Um, And then I got a call from my director that said, hey, do you want to come to walk me? We're trying to build out the public sector team. And I said, yeah, I'll come over. And and I liked my old job. I was still a client success manager, but it's different at every company. Um, You know, every mm-hmm. company you go to a role slightly different than the previous company. So I came over, I started as a senior client success manager to build out the public sector practice. And it's just been really good for me at WalkMe. I, I love the people I work with, and I think that makes a big, big difference. And it just makes you want to go to work each day. So that pivotal moment for me was... And I stopped and said, you know what, sometimes it's not, I mean, it is about the pay, who are we kidding? But, you know, it's not always about the pay, but it's who's sitting next to you while you're earning that pay. And I think that's what makes me really like my job as well, is when you're sitting next to somebody that's working just as hard as you, it just is seamless. And, and I realized that probably when I entered my 30s, I was like, the people you work with can make or break a role for you.
0: Oh, that's so, so true. Yeah. I also really can appreciate what you said about networking. So many people get jobs through networking, and it's the last thing that people want to do when they're unemployed or when they're looking for work. You know, They just think, I'm going to go to the job board and I'm going to apply for all these jobs. But it's crucial. When I think back in my career, I can't tell you very many jobs that I applied for just blindly or filled out an application. It was all through networking. It is. It's so important. And I think
2: people kind of frown upon it because it sounds like you're just getting to know somebody to get something out of them, but it's not like that at right. all. It really isn't. You know, you never know who can lead you in the right direction. Anytime I've ever helped a friend get a job, it's such a good feeling. It's very rewarding. You know, I find that role I'm like you're the perfect fit to me, it's, it's worth it. And it can make the difference in the long run. My whole team at WalkMe, most of us came from our old company together, because we knew each other's work habits, we knew each other's, you know, mentality about how they feel about a project. And it got us all back together. And we're doing very, very well together. But it was our own reputations that we built together that want us to work together again.
0: Have you faced any challenges or setbacks along the way in your career?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest one in the tech industry, I'd say over probably like the past eight or nine years has been the massive layoff. Now, knock on wood, I have not been laid off, but whether you're laid off or your teammates laid off, changes come with it. And it's very hard to me because I get attached to the people I work with. So when they get laid right. off, you become a little paranoid. I mean, let's be honest. Am I next? You know. So then you're sitting right. there doing your job and that takes a toll on me. Like I, I do stress it. Even though I've been able to avoid most of the layoffs that, you know, companies have gone through, but those are setbacks to me. It's been changing of teams. You know, at one point there was a layoff in a company and they just shoved me in a whole different role. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's not what I was hired for. It's not what I thought I'd be doing. So I was kind of like, oh, you get stuck in that spot work. Do I just do it? Cause I'm grateful to be here. You know, I kind of had to sit down and reevaluate like what's going on with my career because they're making these decisions for me. So, yeah, times like that, I would say I was kind of bummed about work um, and I knew it was time to, you know, reevaluate, reflect and see how could I change my own path because this is not what I want to be doing.
0: Do you recall a specific project or initiative or something that you really consider to be a defining moment in your career? Yeah, I had a
2: federal client that I started on. And when I started, it was one of those clients where like, you're the new kid, so you got stuck with them. Uh, everybody else is very happy to take them off their plate. I didn't know that at first. I found that out after a couple months and I thought, Oh, thanks. And they were, they were difficult. They were demanding. They want to meet all the time. They had a long list of needs. Come, come visit us on site. We need this. We need that Projects that should have been three months. One took three years. You know, they were always dragging their feet, changing things. It was one of those, but in the end, I became so close to them, the client themselves. We just built this relationship through the years. And, you know, at the end of the day, a couple of them retired. They sent me their retirement notices and, you know, we still keep in touch. So it ended up being such a difficult client. And I looked back and I thought, man... Like I really turned them around and they wrote a wonderful note to my manager. Just like, Hey, if you ever pull her off our project, like we're out, we're done with your product because they couldn't imagine not having me there. And when I saw that letter come through, I thought all those phone calls, all that stress, all those visits, it totally paid off because they recognized it. And it was such a good feeling. And I thought, well, maybe I'm actually kind of good at this client success thing. If I can take a client that nobody else wanted to work with and build this long-term relationship I might be good at this and that was kind of that moment where I said I should pursue this more and and grow and expand in it because I didn't know how I felt about it. So it was a good feeling hearing their feedback.
0: So it sounds like you're involved a lot in the actual implementation of the project. Like are you the implementation manager too? So I am not, but because of I'm in public
2: sector so we have you know clients that are so unique. I always like to be there for everything. So typically client success manager would come on, you know, just the onboarding after the implementation. But in my role, I go even involved in pre-sales. I'm very, very close with the, the account executives that sell the product and we work together to kind of find the best fit and so forth. And then I stay on through everything because to me, not being there for part of the implementation, I'm missing kind of like the meat and potatoes of the recipe. I can learn so much from the client during that time. And then that will just make me stronger at my role after they're live and using the product, because I'll see the pain points that they went through to get there. So my company actually just changed our entire process and other CSMs are now joining in the implementations as well. I was one of the only few doing it, I always said I was like a helicopter mom with my projects. And I would always tell people that I'm like, sorry, I know I'm not (laughs) supposed to be on these calls, but I'm a helicopter mom. I can't cut the cord. But for me, it was just so much knowledge that later on when I'm working with the client, they didn't have to say to me, oh yeah, and then during implementation, oh, and one time during implementation, like I didn't want the clients to have to repeat themselves. So it's worked really, really well for me. Clients are very complimentary. They liked that I held their hands all the way through because I feel like everybody needs one touch point from beginning to end. You know, the worst part of a project is you just get passed off and passed off. So,
0: yeah. Now, when you say public sector, could you give Mm -hmm. me an example of the type of companies you work with?
2: Yeah. So in public sector, we do all higher ed, which is a lot of colleges. So we have a lot of colleges across America that use WalkMe. We're on a lot of their applications. I know Canvas is a huge one for colleges. So WalkMe is great overlaying on Canvas. Um, And we do a lot of their HR applications and employees, you know, applications as well. Um, we do a lot of state and local government. We're in the state of Colorado. We have some contact state of Arizona. So we have a lot of state and local governments, Ohio, um, that we overlay on a lot of their features. And then we have the federal side of the house as well, um, where we're really getting into the federal space. We have something called FedRAMP, which is, I guess, the easiest way to explain it is a level of security. <laughs> so that WalkMe can say to the federal government, hey, we've jumped through the hoops. We are secure. You can use this us now. And then the federal government takes a deep breath and says, okay. Now it takes a lot of work off their plate of having to figure out if we're secure or not. So we just became FedRAMP ready a couple months ago. So now we're really spending in the federal government and overlaying on a lot of applications that federal employees use or maybe even external users logging into federal applications use.
0: So are you guys using AI yet or how do you see AI playing a role in your job in the future? Yeah, we
2: are. It's actually embedded in our product. Um, We use it, our clients use it. For my role, do I think AI is going to take over a lot of, you know, jobs and responsibilities? Yes. I think is our generation going to see it? Probably not as much as our, you know, future grandkids or whatever will see it. My role specifically, I think it'll make it a couple generations just because even though AI can take over the product, it can take over the sales process, it can take over other things. I do believe clients will still want that human interaction. There's still that Mm -hmm. piece of us that wants to be able to pick up a phone and say, help me. I have a question because right. you can only do so much through AI. So I, I think there is some longevity to my role in that way. Like, I know I'll be able to retire in my role three generations from now. Would they be able to be a client success manager? I don't know.
0: So this morning I listened to a call that was a AI customer success person at Tesla And they're just starting to use this. And they were walking the person through building their car online. And it was very robotic. You could tell that you weren't talking to a live person. But they had a cool accent. And you have me at the accents. (laughs) Yeah. And it made sense. The order of the questions that the AI was asking this person Made a lot of sense. And I don't know if it's as you say, will people like that because they get to have their questions answered and they feel like it's not a high pressure sale? Or will they say, oh, I'm talking to a robot? You know, is this really what I want? Yeah, it probably depends on the age of the
2: person that you ask. (laughs) But I do think that, you know, to some degree, maybe an implementation can be done that way. But, you know, in my role to even bring the value, you have to have conversations that are off the cuff and on the fly. And I just don't mm-hmm. think a robot will ever be able to do that. And there's that level of getting to know each other. You know, we usually start off calls with what's everybody doing this weekend, those things. And and who's going to right. have that conversation with a robot? Like, you know, I'm not going to tell them about, you know, swimming in the pool Saturday. They don't care. Yeah. So I think we're going to lose that human interaction, but I think people will still crave it after they've just spent millions on a product that they're using, they're still going to want that extra level. So yeah, I could see it coming into maybe like the implementation part, but longevity, there's still going to have to be some person that can answer a phone.
0: So as you look ahead, where do you see yourself? Um, What are some of your aspirations and goals for what you're doing and what you hope to do in the future?
2: Yeah, I'm really just building out my role right now and building out my team. Public sector at WalkMe is, huge. <laughs> it's it's moving quickly. And right now I am the only client success manager. So we are going to try and add a counterpart to me, which I'm really excited about. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting that person and helping them build out the role together because we're in such a unique position compared to the other client success managers at my company. So I'm looking forward to just kind of building those things out and building the team out. We're still so new. Most of us started in the past two years and we kind of get this, this high off, you know, becoming bigger, better, the numbers going higher. So I'm just really excited over the next couple of years, seeing what we do with that and just crushing our goals.
0: What advice would you give somebody who's looking at a career in customer success or client success?
2: Yeah, I would tell them, be open to the fact that sales are involved. I think a lot of people miss that piece of it. I think even when I first heard about it, I didn't realize the relationship and influence you could have on a client or customer, you know, getting them to expand the product that they already have with you or maybe adding, you know, one of the things I can do is we can add users, add other applications we're on. And, and that's very important to me in my role. And I guess I always just thought, well, the goal is to make the client happy with what they already have. And you also need to be able to look to the future of the client. Where else can they go? Where can they be? And where can, you know, they grow in their opportunities. So I think when people ask me about my role, they're confused that we're kind of a post sales role and at most companies client success falls under sales and I think most people think it falls under services. So I think that's kind of a misconception that people have about the role but it is it's post-sales you're you're helping the client grow.
0: And any experience you have in sales would probably be a good prerequisite for getting into this.
2: Yeah it really would that would help out a lot and just really having those customer service skills with anything even if you were an implementation consultant you still learn how to interact with a client any interactions with clients would help you in this role you know if you don't like working with clients then this is hundred percent not a role for you but if you enjoy that interaction and meeting different clients and so forth it's a great role to be in I love that I go from meeting to meeting and I can be meeting with a college on the west coast in one minute and then I'm meeting with somebody from the federal government you know an hour later so I like being in the public sector and the shift of of clients and so forth I, I enjoy that piece of it
1: We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, more career advice and stories from your host, Lori Cole.
0: Isn't it illegal for employers to ask about your age when you're filling out online applications or in the interview process? Well, yes and no. People most often experience this when they're filling out their online applications, and employers ask for birth dates and or your year of graduation. These questions can lead to age bias, and some states, like Connecticut, are taking steps to protect workers. The Federal Age Discrimination in Employment Act, or the ADEA, is supposed to be a safeguard for adults over 40 being discriminated against because of age. But the Act does not specifically ban employers from asking for age information. That's a big loophole, right? So the employer can legally ask your age, but they just can't use it to discriminate against you while hiring. And proving age bias in a lawsuit is a huge challenge. Leaving many job applicants uncertain about the reason they didn't get hired. What was the reason? reason. What was the reason? reason? A recent survey found that 67% of adults aged 50 and older support federal legislation to prohibit age related questions on initial job applications. The survey conducted by the University of Chicago in collaboration with AARP Research reflects the desire to see these questions banned, and I am plus one for that. Some state laws provide better protection against age bias than the federal act does. For instance, Connecticut recently passed a law unanimously that bans employers from asking about age, birth dates, or graduation dates on job applications unless there is a specific requirement related to age, like serving alcohol in a bar. I get that. I approve of that one. Some states like California, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania are also making it illegal for employers to ask age-related questions during the hiring process but for the rest of us, we are still obligated to provide the employer with the info they require on these online applications. If they use it to discriminate against you because of your age, I'm sorry to say that you don't have much legal recourse because the burden of proof is on you, the candidate, to prove the employer didn't hire you because of your age. I know you're probably angry about it, but hey, they just did you a big favor because you are better off not working for a company like that anyway.
1: Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to lori.cole@ihire.com. at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.